The reading is taken from Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jacqueline. So as Tim mentioned, today's Father's Day, and um, I'm sure all of you fathers out there, you've had breakfast in bed, and uh, had presents from your children, or at least a phone call from those that live a long way away. Amy, hello, <laughs> talking to children that live a long way away. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I didn't. I left home this morning with my one daughter who lives at home, still asleep in bed, and um, I've not had a phone call or a text from either of my others, so... Maybe they're planning on taking me out for lunch, who knows? <laughs> Live in hope. So we're going to look at our 
third church value today, and it's in loving God and living his adventure, we will help others to receive the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Shall we just pray for a moment? Father God, as we look at this, this passage and this topic, and look at how it applies to us and our lives, Father, would you speak to us? By your Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to each one of us and speak clearly? Amen. So, for those of you into cricket, we're fast approaching a, another Ashes summer. And uh, <laughs> over the last few years, English Test cricket has undergone something of a, of a revival. Um, from being the team virtually every other Test nation could beat, we're now vying with South Africa for the number one spot. And as I've read, I, I quite like my cricket, and I've read quite a lot around um, the, the sort of history of the, the English Test team and stuff like that. And what I've learned is that this revival wasn't a massive change in coaching strategy or wholesale changes in personnel. That wasn't what made the difference. It was small, little incremental changes that made the difference to the English Test team. Things like, and I'm not joking here, making sure they had short fingernails so that you couldn't trap dirt underneath them, which meant that you wouldn't get stomach bugs and all that sort of thing, and therefore you wouldn't miss out on any training. Little things like that. Or working out that the best person to look after the cricket ball, and if you like your cricket, you know you've got to look after that ball, is Alistair Cook, because he doesn't sweat, so he didn't get any water where there wasn't meant to be water on the ball. Uh, those of you that don't understand cricket won't understand a word I've just said, but anyway. <laughs> Helping others to receive the life-changing power of the Spirit is a bit like helping the cricket team to become world beaters. The things that I'm going to talk about today are not huge, massive changes, but they may be small, incremental steps that bring about a change in the way we treat some of the conversations and the interactions we have on a daily basis. Our reading this morning was from the Book of Acts. The description of how, in the years immediately following Jesus' death and resurrection, the early church developed and grew, helping others to receive the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit is what we see right through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Sometimes this book has been dubbed the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because from the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came with such power, right through to the series of events we read about today and on, the Holy Spirit is in charge. On Pentecost, the disciples preached, started speaking in tongues, and thousands of people got saved right there and then. Amazing. You've got people being thrown in prison, people being killed, people being raised from the dead, exorcisms, all kinds of powerful stuff. Then there's the guy who hated the early church most. He gets blinded, gets saved, and becomes one of the church's greatest leaders. This book of Acts is one dramatic account of real life. It's the picture of how we should love God and live his adventure. And the Holy Spirit is leading it all. And I'm sure if you asked Paul, he would say that the Holy Spirit really did change his life. God didn't inspire Luke, who wrote this book, to write it just for our entertainment. He wrote it to inspire and challenge us. So let's be inspired to be a part of the adventure that God is leading us and Christchurch based in Hill on. 
This is the message, the power and the inspiration that Paul and Barnabas have been sharing on their missionary journey together. Through Cyprus and what is now modern-day Turkey, this portion of, in this portion of Acts, they're coming to the end of the church's first ever missionary journey. They've been on the road for almost two years now. They've traveled around 700 miles by road and 500 miles by sea. They've ministered in many different cities and seen God do some amazing things. However, as we heard in that reading, it wasn't always easy. When we set out to do things, to make changes in our lives, difficulties will come up. And Paul and Barnabas certainly had their fair share of them. So as we look in more details at these events, there are four key points about Paul's ministry that I'd like us to learn something from. Firstly, they're being led by the Spirit. Secondly, their preaching was accompanied by signs and wonders. Thirdly, people were changed by, because of their preaching. And fourthly, there will be struggles along the way. So Paul and Barnabas are being led by the Spirit. In Acts 13, as the church at Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were, was worshipping the Lord and were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Well, you don't get much clearer than that as a, as a word from God, do you? Then it goes on a little later. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus at the start of their journey. Now we see this time and time again through Acts, where various apostles are guided very, very clearly by the Holy Spirit as to where they should be going next. And I often think, when I think about this sort of stuff, about uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, where Philip's sent from one place and there's a chariot. And uh, God clearly speaks to him and says, go to that chariot. And in there's the Ethiopian eunuch who's struggling with understanding the scripture. And Philip just takes the time to explain and lead him to be saved. The spirit just said, go to that chariot and stay near it. I wonder if you've ever had that sort of experience. Has the Spirit audibly guided you somewhere? If you're anything like me, then much more often it's a sort of distant voice that's easily muffled by the sounds of everyday life. The sounds going on around us. I think if we're going to be led by the Spirit, then the first thing we need to do is to make time to listen to him. Time. I think we all struggle with that. There always seems to be something much more important to be doing. Now, I, at the moment and over the last few months, and particularly at Lee Abbey, I felt a real sense, from, a real nudge from God about what he's got in store with me for my future. Now, I keep trying to ignore this because I think then it might go away. You never know. But however much I try to ignore it, this sense of calling, this constant nudging, and I mean constant, just won't go away. To do something about it, I've got to make time to listen closely to him in the peace and the quiet when I can be alone with him. Jesus gave us this example to follow, didn't he? When he took time out from his preaching, his teaching, his healing, all his ministry to go on his own up to a mountaintop to spend time with his father. If we're going to be guided by the spirit like Paul and Barnabas are, then the first thing we need to do is take time to listen. 
Now, like Tim, I went to the Olympics last year, though I wasn't watching beach volleyball, I have to say. I was watching handball in the Olympic Park. Now, I have to say that's a very exciting and exhilarating game. And if I was a few years younger, I might have given it a go. I think I've tried it now, I might break a few bones. But, uh, but every so often, one or other of the teams would call a timeout. Now, we're not used to that in British sport. You play for 45 minutes, have a half time, and then play for another 45 minutes. It's the way it works. But they keep calling times out every few minutes or so. The coach would take, then take some time to encourage his team, to change the way they were playing, or to replace some tired players. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to go to our quiet place, wherever that may be, and take time out with God. Allow him to encourage us, allow him to change us, maybe even allow him to give us that time to rest. The second thing we notice is that Paul and Barnabas' teaching was accompanied by signs and wonders. In this passage, we read about the lame man who had never walked. Paul sensed the faith that he had to be healed and just called out, stand up on your feet. The man then jumped up and began to walk. And this sort of story is repeated all the way through Acts. Peter and John healing the crippled beggar just after um, Pentecost. Paul being blinded on the road to Damascus and then miraculously healed. Because Jesus is alive and because the Holy Spirit is here today means that he has the power today to change lives. I don't know what you make of the healings that you read about in the Bible. You might dismiss it as a piece of historical fiction or a piece of make-believe. The reality is though that many people here today and many people that I've known in other churches and other places have discovered the difference Jesus makes in their lives. Some have a story of dramatic healing, others of encountering Jesus when all hope is lost, and others of simply knowing his guiding over many years. In whatever way we've experienced the life-changing power that the Holy Spirit brings, our role is to share that with others. I'll just give you an example of that. A few weeks ago, it was uh, Sole Purpose Weekend, and um, we were at what I think now is a world-famous hog roast on Meal Estate. And uh, one of the leadership team, Fee Eden, who some of you will know, was chatting to the dinner lady from her daughter's school. As she chatted to her, she sensed that uh, this lady was a little bit distracted and asked her if anything was wrong. And she explained how she was really worried about her mum, who was uh, ill and struggling to breathe and short of breath and everything else. And Fee offered to pray with her there and then. And this lady looked absolutely horrified. So Fee changed tack a little bit and said, well, would it be okay if we prayed later on? And she said, yeah, that's, that's fine, thank you. So later on, as a leadership team, we, as we got together at the end of the day, we prayed for this lady. And um, after half term, a week or so later, this lady at school went up to Fee's daughter and said to her, worse to the effect of, tell your mum that praying stuff works. My mum's so much better. Are we sometimes wary about offering to pray for people who don't share our faith because we think they won't want it or because we don't know what the reaction will be? If you're anything like me, the answer is probably yes. However, this life-changing spirit, life-changing power of the Holy Spirit is ours to share with everyone we meet. 
All we need to do, and it's very easy to say, is to have the courage to start to give the spirit away. Third point that we can pick up from this reading is people were changed because of their preaching. We can look at, again at the lame man. He was definitely changed by their preaching. How about the great number of Jews and Gentiles that believed? They were changed by the preaching. If we look at the whole of Acts, we would see numerous occasions where people were changed through pe preaching or just spending time with the apostles. Are we called to do the same? I suspect that many of us have stories where things we have said or unspoken kindnesses that we have shown or practical help we have given to others may have been a catalyst to those people experiencing change in their life. At the back end of last year, I had an email from uh, someone that I used to work with when I was at Arga. He wrote to me to say thank you for an email I'd written to him probably five years previously when his dad had died. Now I can't for the life of me remember what I wrote in that email. But it's obviously meant a lot to him. As he mentioned the fact that he'd never forgotten my Christian attitude. He then went on to say that some people left marks in your life and he wanted to let me know that he'd started an Alpha course at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And that on the Holy Spirit's weekend, he'd become a Christian. Now when I read that, you literally could have knocked me over with a feather. The person I would not have expected ever to become a Christian had done so. You never know how and when you may be sharing those life-changing words. I'm sure that on the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up to speak, he really didn't have a clue that the things he was about to say would have the worldwide impact that they eventually did. The impact that was the birth of the church that today numbers millions of people. That's millions of people whose lives have been changed through others just like you and me. It doesn't take a lot just, again, that courage to say those few words to enable lives to be changed by the Holy Spirit. And finally, Paul and Barnabas discovered that there would be struggles along the way. Again, this is a theme, not just in this passage, but right the way through Acts. And just at the end of the passage, we read this. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside thinking he was dead. There it is, just a sentence or so, but says so much. But it goes on to tell us, after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up, he didn't flee, didn't go off somewhere else, he went back into the city, to the place where he'd just been stoned. That's bravery for you. As you look at Acts, one thing does become clear. This life-changing power of the Holy Spirit will be opposed. Paul and Barnabas go through some really difficult times just to get the good news of Jesus out there. They're met with division, misunderstanding, fierce opposition. Was it worth it? Why go through all this? Well, mainly because this gospel adventure will change lives. All along the path of these difficulties were countless people whose lives were renewed, whose lives were restored, who now experienced the love of God. It was definitely worth it. Anything that is worthwhile in this life is going to take some work and could well be met with opposition. Marriage is difficult at times, but well worth the effort to make it work. 
Bringing up children definitely has its challenges. As do more mundane things like, I don't know, keeping fit, learning a new language, starting a business. They all have their share of tough times. The true adventure is when we keep climbing to the top of that mountain. We don't give up because it's hard. We keep going with our eyes fixed on the prize. I thought I'd finish with a story about someone called Charlotte Elliott. She lived from 1789 to 1871 and was the daughter of a clergyman. From the age of 19, she was an invalid and was confined to her home and was unable to attend church services. In spite of her being brought up in a Christian home, she was unsure of her relationship with Christ. Despite her struggles and her doubts, and I can imagine being an invalid in that time, the early 19th century, would have been hard work. Despite that, at the age of 32, she wrote words that over the next 150 years or more would help to lead tens of thousands to Christ. Why? Because she penned words of assurance about Jesus loving her, just as she was. And 100 years later, Billy Graham says that he was saved hearing this hymn, the hymn Just As I Am. He then went on to use that at the end of each of his missionary rallies through the latter half of the 20th century. Someone who's experienced struggles wrote some words that changed thousands of lives. In a few minutes, Tim is going to lead us in a time of response, particularly geared around the men in the church. But whoever you are, as we share communion later on, take some time to consider the small incremental changes that you may need to make to help others to receive the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.